Welcome to the Everything Building Envelope podcast. On this show, we discuss topics relating to the exterior building envelope, such as waterproofing, glazing, cladding, roofing, and more. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. For previous episodes, show notes, and bonus video content, check out our website, everythingbuildingenvelope.com. Now, here's your host for the Everything Building Envelope podcast, Paul Beers. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Everything Building Envelope podcast. Really excited about today's guest, Ray Crawford with Crawford Tracy Corp. Ray has been a Ray and I have been working together for quite a while now, and then it's always been a, a good experience. Ray, thanks so much for coming to the podcast today. My pleasure, Paul. So, as I said, Ray, you know, obviously we've uh, we go we go way back to each other, probably longer with each other, probably longer than we, than we care to admit. So, just for the benefit of the listeners, why don't you tell them a little bit about yourself and uh, and Crawford Tracy Corp. Well, I started in the business back in 1968. Uh, started working. Crawford Tracy Corporation is a family business. I started working for my dad back in uh, 1968. That's when basically our company started doing unitized, pre-glazed, four-sided structural glaze. I started off in the back of the uh, facility, sweeping floors, cutting glass, uh, doing mirrors, building frames, kind of, my dad made me start it from the floor up, which at the time I was pretty disappointed, but I didn't understand what he was thinking back then, but right now I understand it. Yeah, it's always a good, good, good to have the background to, um, I mean, you get to learn what the whole business from A to Z, I mean, I, I kind of have a similar background and um, no fun at the time, but, but as you look back on it, it was probably a good way to go. Oh, definitely was, Paul. Definitely was. And uh, we started, when I got in there, uh, I kind of worked my way up through the years. I became president of Crawford Tracy Corporation back in 1992. So uh, that's been quite a while ago also. uh, Was that 24 years ago? So uh, I had the opportunity to utilize what I learned from the ground up, which has been instrumental in allowing uh, a lot of the decisions and a lot of the uh, design changes and everything that we utilize here is the practical experience of it. We've been manufacturing, as I said, we started with one of the first four-sided structural glaze unitized systems back in 1968. We found a lot of benefits to the product back then, as I'm sure you recall, there was a lot of concerns with the use of structural silicones for retaining glass dead loads on them. And uh, at the time, GE was the big product, but Dow Corning came into market about that time. And uh, we have kind of stuck with and uh, been a real ally of Dow Corning products. And uh, found out over the years, and I know you recall the issues back then with your acetoxy sealants and the uh, deionized water uh, anodizing processes that were required. And uh, things have evolved quite a bit with the current neutral cure and accelerated silicones. And it's just made a big ability of the product to grow and mature as the uh, uh, industry has changed. And when in 92, after Hurricane Andrew, whenever the uh, new impact requirements came online, the structural silicone uh, and silicone itself became a bigger instrumental part in retention of glass, whether it was 
four-sided structural or captured uh, specifically more so on the large missile uh, impact arena. And it's continued to go. And we have utilized and incorporated the four-sided structural blades because we can do the face seal barrier wall system that we've developed, which we give and provide 100 PSF water resistance to our products that allows us to create an envelope protection that all of the rain screen or pressure equalized manufacturers cannot even think about getting close to. Yeah, that's a um, that's a very impressive number, and, and I want to get into that more um, as we as we go on. But let's back up a little bit just for the benefit of our listeners. Let's talk about some of the basic stuff. So you say pre-glazed unified curtain wall. So how does that work? Well, what this provides or facilitates is we're able to we manufacture and glaze all of our frames and components here in our prime factory. Big advantages to that, Paul. Uh, one of the big things is the quality control. A lot of the manufacturers do the field glazing of stick-built and stick-assembled systems on the job. When they do that, as I know you have experienced through your business, and we've seen it time after time, the field contamination, all of the dust and dirt that gets into the cavity behind the glass, not to mention what happens if it's not pumped that day. They let it sit overnight or over the weekend and come back the following day and try and pump the joint for the temped glass that's been put in place but wasn't caught. The contaminated substrates, the dust, the dirt, the condensation, everything goes there. Not to mention the fact that in Dade and Broward County, there is a uh, exclusion of field glaze, four-sided structural glaze within uh, the HVAC or high-velocity hurricane zone. So you, you do everything in your factory, and you have obviously a lot of um, quality control and, and a process and everything. So then. Once you once you build these units and and they're, they're you know it's the glass and the frame all in a pre-glazed configuration, how do you get it? How do you actually get it out into the field and installed? And and how does that affect the schedule? Um, doing it this way as opposed to to field erection. Okay, uh, to make a comparison to. Uh a type of construction that a lot of people are uh, used to and see. It's almost like precast concrete, except we can get a little bit more onto a truck. What we do is the unitized panels are palletized. They're put on uh, pre-built skids with supports. They're loaded onto a flatbed tractor trailer. They're strapped down. They're trucked to the job site. They're offloaded on the job site. And then typically, depending on the size, uh, if they're bigger curtain wall panels, they are erected uh, using lifting hooks or power cups, and they're lifted and erected in place using uh, either manual cranes, uh, crawlers, or tower cranes to put them on the job. And you have a, um, if I'm trying to remember, you have a video on your website that kind of shows that shows a, a building being erected. With, obviously, it's sped up with the with the crane and all that don't you yes we do uh those were uh the florida hospital uh adventist de popka that we did uh up in north part of orlando and if anybody wants to, to take a look at the video what is your website address 
it is www.crawfordtracy.com. That is C-R-A-W-F-O-R-D-T-R-A-C-E-Y.com. And that's a pretty cool video. Um, so if anybody's, if you're interested, I'd, I'd recommend taking a quick look at it. And yeah, we've got that, Paul, and we've got a couple other videos of uh, uh, more conventional curtain wall and different installs. We try and continually add items for the people to view. Good, good. And what about schedule? How does how does this work with the construction schedule? Oh, typically it has a big benefit uh, to the schedule. The advantages are that we, with with the incorporation of guaranteed sizes, we can pre-build the panels, get them all out to the job site. Prior to the panels and the fabricated components reaching the job site, we would have the welder and the receiver plates and the layouts all done so that when we get out there, we could just zip along and close in the building much faster. It, it screams through the install compared to a stick built because everything's all done. When we get out there, we just hang it up there and run across the building. Yeah, so, I mean, clearly there's some big benefits. I remember saying, you know, that I really, I think I've said this before actually and been quoted on it, that the stick built is kind of method these days is kind of like being in the dark ages because the pre-glaze unitized is so much more efficient, so much better quality, and just, it just, there's benefits galore with it. Oh, yes. And Paul, uh, we were on the topic a few minutes ago of the four-sided structural glaze. Uh, there's additional, in addition to the high performance of the weather seal, there's additional multiple components and advantages to that. One of the additional items is the fact that the, we typically do it with the intent of no penetrations from the exterior of the glazing plane into the interior, which allows a higher degree of performance. We don't even require thermal breaks. The system with the glazing specifically, if it's insulated on the outboard side, the performance of the glass is what dictates the performance of the system. And you don't have the issue of all the thermal transmission by pressure bars, screws, fasteners, or mechanical means trying to put the capturing of the glazing into the building. Along with that, the penetrations typically cause areas for water infiltration or failures later on. So with this kind of system, you've got a, basically all of your framing is on the inside and your glass is on the outside and it doesn't need a thermal break because of the design of the system. And you've got either the, either the, insulated, gla either the insulated glass and or sealant be providing the thermal barrier. That is exactly correct. Now, if the designer has the desire to have exterior accentual, accentuated parts or decorative trims on the outside, what we typically do in that case is we structurally silicone those trim components to the outboard without breaching the envelope and or the sealant joints. So we use the same reasonable means of structurally siliconing the trim caps or decorative pieces to the outboard as we do putting the glass onto the framing component. Yeah, so it's very uh, it's a very efficient system. I, I guess with that then, even though it's a structurally glazed system, you can actually put trim on the outside and have it look 
like a traditional framed system if, if that's what the designer wants, correct? That is definitely correct, Paul. So let's talk about this 100 pound per square foot water rating that your systems have. Can you give a little perspective on what is typically seen, or let's talk a bit, little bit about that, what, what the typical rating is for a commercial glazing assembly, just you know, an industry standard type of system? The industry standard uh, that's typical through, from all of my experience has always been 15% of maximum positive pressure and normally no less than 6 PSF. That's minimal. If we get here in Florida and you have, which has the, just to interject, a, a much higher positive typical pressure than the uh, rest of the country, but if we're using 100 PSF as an average there and typical highest, they, everybody wants to achieve 15 PSF positive. Now, for the water test pressure. Yes, sir, that's correct, for the water test pressure. They don't make it meet the requirements of 100% of the positive. They reduce it down. The reason they have done this is the original or older designs of the pressure equalized or rain screen systems couldn't even come close to that either by means of the problems with the exposed joinery back in the backside or the head pressure or sill differentials that they would try and do it, they can only get maybe up to 15 PSF. So the real world, say you've got a 100 pound per square foot structural load, which is a significant number. And I know people, listeners outside of Florida are probably thinking, wow, that's a big number for for a glazing system, and actually the numbers even get higher than that, but if you have 100 pounds per square foot for wind load and you have 15 for water, what happens when you get high, really high winds, like a tropical storm or a hurricane, or what can happen? Well, Paul, you know uh, along the east coast of uh, Florida and some of the other areas, you can get thunderstorms in the afternoon where you can get in excess of 60 mile per hour winds winds gust with the presence of rain and as you know i think what is it somewhere around 65 or 68 psf water pressure is what the equal to 15 psf uh, water resistance is so typically what that means is as was found out after all these new impact systems were in market and everybody keeps coming tell me well that's hurricane proof well first off as we know it's hurricane impact resistant, but the water resistance uh, didn't evolve to the degree that the impact and envelope protection did. So after uh, Jean and Francis and the storms back, Wilma in the uh, low 2004-2005 came after this new industry and new products were on the market, and they came through the area, sat over a few of the uh, areas and pounded them with water, everybody was scratching their head, and I'm sure you were involved in some of the litigations. They're saying it shouldn't have leaked. Well, they were designed uh, with minimal water resistance, so there were leaks, and that's the reason, going back to it, we see that 100 PSF water resistant is the normal highest positive pressure. That's the reason we tested to 100. You know, it's it's an issue, and still an issue. Will Smith, who works for my company, GCI Consultants, and is actually a prior guest on the podcast, wrote a blog article within the last month or two, which is on our website, GCIConsultants.com, and it was addressing the very issue of hurricane 
glazing systems, you know, and, and what to expect of them. People think, oh, the glass is never going to break. Well, not true. If it gets hit with debris, it might break. Um, the, the window opening is still going to be okay. It's, you know, you're not going to have a breach. But the other big, the other big thing, probably the biggest, is the water leakage issues, which I think caught the industry by surprise. And as you said, in 04 and 05, all these hurricane impact, a lot of these hurricane impact systems got, you know, 100 mile an hour wind driven rain and they leaked. And people, you know, obviously that's not something you want to happen, but, but it does because the standards are lower. I've always said that the standards, you know, aren't designed for water leakage. The standards aren't designed for the environment. They're designed for what the industry is able to produce as far as systems. And that's, you know, 15 pounds per square foot is a pretty is a challenging number for a conventional type of blazing system. Yeah, Would Paul, definitely. And some of the things and the reasons we did this was we do a lot of healthcare projects and a lot of technology buildings and those are the type of facilities that are not ready, don't want to or not set to deal with moisture, moisture getting into the building, the condensation creating issues with what is known as sick buildings. The attorneys have uh, just gone uh, bonkers on uh, pursuing mold mitigation, you know? Yeah. So how on earth, if everybody's having trouble getting to 15, how in the world did you get to 100? That goes back to what I was saying, Paul. Uh, we always had the ability to do it. We finally just uh, brought it up. It's our standard design. The only difference is we finally tested it. I had brought it up uh, many, many, almost 30 years ago and done a test and took it up there and there was no problem. And we finally decided let's go ahead and do the testing on all the systems. The big problem we had is, as I'm sure you know, Paul, most of the consultants don't have the field equipment to do anything near those pressures. In addition to that, the test labs that we originally approached they didn't, their chambers wouldn't take that on their water and their equipment wouldn't get it up to it. So they had to make modifications, which we had to work with them to get it up to it. The biggest challenge we see in field tests is the typical surrounding materials don't achieve those kind of pressures. Yeah, that's, that's funny, actually, that you mentioned that, that having the test done at that kind of rating is it's just something that hasn't been done before. And you know, I can see how it can cause the issues. So you actually took this into a test laboratory and had them run the test at for water instead of, you know, the 12 or 15 pounds per square foot that, that the industry is used to. You actually had them run it at 100 pounds per square foot, which is a tremendously high load, even without the water, and it passed. Yes, sir. Uh, all of our systems. Yeah, that's impressive. Now, has there been a lot of interest in this since you, I mean, have you actually had jobs where you've separated yourself from the competition because of the, the, the water rating? Yes, uh, it has been a big advantage for us. As a matter of fact, some of our competition whose names I won't mention have been calling me a few names because they've had extreme difficulty getting even close. I know some of them tested to 50 PSF, but as I'm aware of, nobody has gotten up to our 100. So your system uses a single seal as a moisture barrier? That is correct. It's a face seal barrier wall system, as we like to call it, and it is a single silicone seal. 
the advantages are and the condition exists that the glass being on the face of all of the components, we have the simplicity of design that all of the weathering is done by the glass or the sealant. With a four-sided structure glaze, you have a glass to sealant to glass condition or a glass to sealant to surround condition. Everything else is behind the glazing, so it's either the glass or the sealant that's doing the work. We don't have the exposed framing joints and all of the typical conditions that are subjected and normal the big problems on the water infiltrations. So when you compare a single seal to a dual seal, um, doesn't I mean doesn't dual seal sound better than single seal? It sounds better, but as we've studied it and coordinated with the designers and the teams and even Dow Corning, one of the problems that can establish or created is if you use a completely sealed dual seal within a glazing system where there is a failure of the front line at a higher point, you can actually retain all the water between and within the two sealant lines, which would not be good for insulated glass, would not be good for uh, laminated glass, and would not be good for the health of the building with the propensity of the surrounding concrete or uh, cementitious materials to uptake the moisture. You mentioned laminated glass. Now, that's, I know that's used a lot in the hurricane impact world, particularly in South Florida and coastal areas. Have you had any issues with laminated glass? I know it's sensitive sometimes to compatibility with surrounding materials. How do you overcome that with using sealants and glazing accessories and things like that? Have you had any problems? Or Because I know that they're out there. I see them all the time. So have you had any problems? And if not, how do you avoid them? Okay. Uh, Paul, first off, we have not had problems with the basic systems. Now, I will say at the onset, of the hurricane impact glass when everybody was experimenting with uh, glass clad polycarbonates and some of the other products the uh, polycarbonates with the urethane inner layers and bondings had problems initially from crazing when you're using your solvent cleaners because the polycarbonate was in high tension also over time the urethane had a tenacity that did not allow a good difference of expansion between the plastics, the polycarbonate, and the glass. And we understand that in the industry, the polycarbonate started crazing from the ultraviolet exposure and other things. But as far as the conventional, either PVBs, polyvinyl butyrols, ionoplast, or even the century glass original products, we haven't had an issue with compatibility of the sealants we've used because we've coordinated with both the inner layer manufacturers and the sealant manufacturers to make sure that the incorporated products were appropriately compatible. And, and you just reminded me of something else. You're talking about the laminated glass inner layers. Which ones are, are you using in your systems these days? Our use goes everywhere from in a condition where we're required to meet standard large missile glass, we have two inner layers that are capable of being used. One of them is uh, what they call the uh, Vanceva Storm, which is a polyvinyl butyrol with the incorporation of an additional uh, material. That one is nice in the fact that it is a little bit more competitive, but it doesn't seem to meet the pressures 
and the higher performance that we need in some of the more tenacious products or special products, which we would then use the what was originally a DuPont, now is Curare's product, which is the ionoplast or what they call the century glass. That has the ability to meet a higher pressure and also gives us the ability to meet the what we call E-missile, which is an 80 foot per second 2x4 for the larger special products, which are the essential facilities. And the 80 foot per second, it's funny because you and I are working together on a project where this just came up on Friday, a, a hospital, which is an essential facility. So 80 feet per second as compared to the standard requirement of 50 feet per second. So what is your glass configuration for the, and the 80 foot per second is a much, much higher load. It's not linear. I mean, it's a force is much greater than the 50 foot per second missile. Yeah, Paul, round numbers. The uh, 50 foot per second is 34 miles an hour. The 80 foot per second is around 50 miles per hour. But as you noted, it goes up exponentially. The energy transfer of the glass is phenomenal. If we take the standard large missile glass compliant that meets and passes the standard 50 foot per second 2x4, if we shoot that with the 80 foot per second 2x4, I'm going to tell you that Typically, the 2x4 just sails through it without even slowing down too much. The heavier composite, uh, the inner layer is what makes the difference. If we have a monolithic laminated product of two lights of quarter-inch glass with an inner layer, if the uh, 090 ionoplast, which is the century glass, or the 077 Vanceva Storm meet it, in order to meet the 80 foot per second, we would need to go to two layers of the one, of the 90 to make it a 180, almost 3 16ths of an inch of polymer plastic that goes between the two pieces of quarter inch glass to stop that two by four and then ultimately pass the 9,000 cycles. And the reason I served on the ASTM committee that developed these standards, the reason they have this really high load on what they call as an essential facility, you know, the job that we're working on together right now that has this is, a, is healthcare, it's a hospital. And the theory being, if you've got patients in the hospital during a hurricane, you need to design to a higher level as opposed to a, say, an office building where it could be evacuated and you're just trying to have the, the structure survive and, you know, protect the contents. Yes, sir, that's so, correct. Yeah. So, you know, the, the codes are changing every few years. Big changes that we've seen recently have been energy related, have they not? Uh, other than the uh, essential facility in Florida, throughout the nation, the energy codes continue to evolve to a higher performance standard. Yeah. What's being done basically to comply with this with these standards as they go up? The two components are the framing system and the glass. The glass being the majority of the fenestration and the framing being a smaller component, but the glass is the first item that needs to do with the U values and the uh, solar heat gain coefficient, depending on how you're trying to establish your energy performance. And then in addition to that, you have to keep your framing component from transferring the energy that you're trying to keep out into the interior of the envelope. So the practical end result is with U values, which is, you know, basically insulation, 
we're seeing insulated glass units where maybe they weren't required before and the solar heat gain coefficient, which is basically my layman's way to say it is bounce the sun off of it, not have it come through. We're seeing high performance coding. So that system that you're building is really pretty technologically advanced. It has insulated glass, it has laminated glass, it has high performance coatings, typically low E coatings. It's thermally broken. Big difference probably from uh, when you became president back in the 90s, huh? Oh, big difference, Paul, big difference. And uh, it's continuing to be more and more prevalent. And it's it's really humorous because uh, it's not that we're trying to sell anything, and I'm sure the same on your end, but we still have people almost like down here on the hurricane end, well, you don't need this. And I'm still getting even owners of buildings and developers that they they argue and they don't want to put the time and money or money into it to uh, use the far superior glass on this. Well, money, you know, I've said this in other um, podcasts and, you know, money, it's all about money, time and schedule, time and budget. And obviously, you know, in a for-profit situation, you want to spend as little as you can. And, you know, and if you're spending... As the requirements get more stringent with with hurricane and with with energy, uh, with hurricane, you know, if you if you live where there's hurricanes, you should probably build to resist them. And and I never understood why people didn't want to do that, but it's it's the money thing. And with energy, it's the same thing. And there is there is a return on investment over time, and you know, user comfort. It's 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 just it's just a better system, all the way yes, around. Sir. Yes, sir. So really interesting discussion, Ray, and I, I thank you so much for coming on. I know it's really interesting. And as I said, you know, we've, we've worked on quite a few projects together. I was just thinking, you know, we, we finished up the Daytona Speedway project this year or last year. I can't remember exactly when that was, but that was really cool. And we're doing uh, all aboard Florida train stations together and some healthcare. And you've kind of got a really, really great portfolio of work throughout Florida and, you know, certainly an industry leader as far as the performance and whatnot. And look forward to doing some more cool stuff together. Paul, thanks for the kind words. And I've got to say that there's a lot of consultants out there today that are people that, well, lack a better statement, they scare the heck out of me. I've got to say that typically when people ask me, do you recommend a consultant, I always go straight to you, Paul, because you're a team-spirited, high-quality, involved person that does your job for the concern of the building and the customer. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. So we're starting a new Building Envelope newsletter, and if you'd like to get on the mailing list for that, you can text the word building envelope, B-U-I-L-D-I-N-G-E-N-V-E-L-O-P-E, all one word, building envelope, to 228-28. So again, text building envelope to 228-28. Get signed up for our monthly everything building envelope newsletter. Um, it's going to have some good stuff in it, technical and, uh, and of interest to the building envelope community and people that are interested in it. So thank you everybody for listening. It was a really great episode. I found it very, very interesting and, and, and Ray was great.
And until next time, this is Paul Beer saying so long. Thanks for joining us today. Please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. For more information on the Everything Building Envelope, previous episodes, show notes, bonus video content, and much more, check out our website, everythingbuildingenvelope.com.